Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, we have a lot to discuss, a fun Monday night game, some interesting news, and we're going to talk about a team that has suddenly gone from being an embarrassment or a disaster to being the scariest team in football in the course of two weeks. Joining me to talk about all that is our Bills reporter at ESPN, Elena Getzenberg. Elena, first off, how are you? I'm good. Wow, the scariest team in football. That like <laughs> took me aback a little bit. Uh, I'm good. The Bills are certainly keeping me busy. So plenty, plenty to discuss there. We'll get to the Bills and we'll get to the news. I think we should talk about what we just saw first, though. The Monday night game between the Eagles and the Seahawks. And this was one for me where just like your classic beat writer, where you have to rip up your story three times in the final 10 minutes. I I thought we were going to have a conversation about, oh, how how did Matt Patricia fix the Eagles' defense? Like, this, this actually, he solved the problem somehow. They've been struggling for so long and suddenly he fixed it. And then that final Drew Locke drive happened. And it was magic. A game where there had been no explosive plays all game. Suddenly exploded a a incredible DK Metcalf catch, two incredible DK Metcalf catches on the final drive. And then that touchdown pass to Jackson Smith and Jigba to win it for the Seahawks before an even more incredible catch by Julian Love for his second interception of the game to seal things up. So, Elena, I, I guess I'll start with this. Given what we saw in the final few minutes, is this more rewarding for the Seahawks to you, or is it more damaging to the Eagles given the circumstances of what happened at the end of this game? I think one thing I need to say first is that when you asked how I was, I should have said I'm like shook by Drew Locke. Like, I think that was the correct <laughs> response because that we was- We all are. Right? That's a shared experience. <laughs> It was nuts. That was a crazy, crazy drive when they, you know, when we thought where the ball was going to be on that last drive, I was like, I don't know. This man didn't yeah. even know he was going to start today. Like, <laughs> that's, that's nuts. Um, I think to answer your question in like the worst way possible and like as a reporter, like I hate this answer. I think it's mm-hmm. both. And like, it can be both. Uh, yeah. Cause I think this actually does say a lot about like, I don't know, this Seahawks offense. I feel like that was a heck of a drive and they like were so inconsistent all game long. Mm -hmm. And then to put that together, I think really does say something about this offense. And of course, I don't know, you know, where Geno Smith's health is going forward, but Mm -hmm. Drew Locke, like believer over here, I guess. I don't know. That was nuts. (laughs) But I also think like having seen the the Eagles, you know, when the Bills played them this year, they were this team Mm -hmm. that like when they played the Bills, obviously, you know, it was a couple, not even that long ago when they played the Bills, it was like this team that, they had this the second half prowess like it was so impressive and they had this on both sides of the ball and they just seemed like they really came out strong and they had this energy and I felt like that just was not there in the second half and like we just saw like this offense that I don't know looked out of sync at times and just wasn't all together and I I do think it says something about this Eagles team and the slump they're on maybe more than the Seahawks just because of how good you know we think this Eagles team can be and they're just not rising to the occasion at this time. Like they, the fact that they let Drew Locke, you know, do Mm -hmm. that, put together that drive, I think does say a good amount about this defense. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about both sides of this from the Eagles perspective, you know, on offense, it always kind of felt to me like an inevitability, like inevitably the Eagles were going to get in third and one, and then inevitably they were going to push, push their way forward. And inevitably they were going to extend this game. And I think, when I saw Pete Carroll use those two timeouts, which we'll get to in a moment, um, you know, I, I saw that 
<laughs> yeah, just nuts. But I, I, I saw the clock, the clock winding, and it was like it went from like seven minutes to four minutes in an instant. And I was like, oh no, the Seahawks are never going to see the ball again after that timeout. And it just kind of felt like, okay, this is what the Eagles do. Like, yes, they've had some struggles in the past couple weeks, but. This is where they're going to show, hey, we're still that championship team. We can still close this game out against a team we should be beating. And then they did not close the game out on offense. And really, after that touchdown drive in the third quarter, they did absolutely nothing on offense. They had a three and out in the third quarter. They had a three and out on their first drive of the fourth quarter. They picked up one first down, sorry, two first downs in a row on their third drive and then punted from midfield and then on that final drive they got the one jalen hurts scramble for 20 yards before the interception and i think that's the part that i find so difficult is like you have these playmakers you have deandre swift you have aj brown you have Devonte smith you even have dallas goddard back now when you did not have dallas goddard for for a chunk of the season and yet it feels like so much of what makes the Eagles work, what makes them click in big moments is Jalen Hurts having to bail them out. And that is something I would hope they would have figured out by now. I thought that first interception, the Jalen threw the one earlier um, in the second half where it was like just downfield. I thought that was a wild choice. Like they did not need to do that. And I think that's one of those where it's like, that could have been, that could have changed the whole game. Because if he doesn't throw that downfield and they just hand the ball off or he picks up five yards, you know, like that to me was a choice where it was like, why are you doing that in this situation? You don't need to go for that here. And it obviously ended up kind of eventually tipping things. And that to me is something where it's like, to your point, they have all these weapons. They have this ability, you know, they they can run the ball. Why are you forcing it downfield like that and putting it on Jalen Hurts' shoulders? Like it just shouldn't be that way i mean we know he's not 100 percent as well so like why why like I, that just didn't make sense to me at all yeah and i'm sorry i said that they were three out in that drive they were not they had a first down and then through the interception but again like that deep pass if it was to aj brown or even to Devontae smith i'd be like okay like you took mm-hmm. a shot to your best player that pass was to quez watkins like that wasn't even to one of your that was to your fifth best sixth best receiver maybe depending on how you feel about their running backs like it wasn't even like they were saying okay uh aj down there somewhere it was quez down there somewhere that's not the best use of your resources like if that was the falcons and it was oh they're throwing you know a bomb to matt collins instead of drake london or cal pitts we'd be furious at arthur smith and yet with the eagles like we sort of give them the benefit of the doubt, but it just felt throughout this game like they had no rhythm outside of Hurts making plays or the, the the times they were able to run the ball with DeAndre Swift, but it felt like they had really a couple quarters to put this game away and just were not able to do so. Yeah, you mentioned, not to pivot to the Seahawks, but you mentioned like those two timeouts that Pete Carroll used on those fourth down plays. And when he did that, the second one was a mess, you know, with them reviewing that play that when that happened, I was like, ah, oh, the Eagles are going to win this. Like, this is a mess. <laughs> like this just, I, I thought I've seen some bad game management, but oh my God, that was like wild. And, but the fact to your point that they let then the Seahawks still hang around like they I really think this was a game the Eagles should have won. Um, and like the other thing that stood out to me with this Eagles team was the tackling issues are just real <laughs> and yes. something that 
are they older? Are they, you know, something defensively that, I mean, they're going to play these teams in the, the playoffs that, that it's becoming an issue. Like, I think they're having these issues as of late that like they're seen reoccurring. Like the Bills had success against them in the first half and they were like able to seemingly move the ball at will. And I think against some of these offenses, they're going to they're going to have some issues. It's not like there's a very famous, wildly successful offense atop the NFC that is the best offense in like league history getting yards after catch that they're going to have to play hmm. potentially in the <laughs> NFC championship game again. It's a really good point. And, and I think, you know, as much as they wanted to make the changes they made over the past week, which a little curious, you know, replacing your defensive coordinator with Matt Patricia in December and <laughs> the other story about um, uh, Kevin Byard, uh, going to Sean Desai and saying, let us do the game prep this week. You, like Almost like you take the week off, which just, I don't know, it seems a little strange for you to Very say you're a defensive coordinator. <laughs> Not a common thing I've seen in the NFL or heard about in the NFL. No. So it, not only does it feel like they're struggling and going on a losing streak, but it feels like there's chaos happening inside that building right now. I mean, anytime you change coordinator and move him upstairs like he's not even like fired he's just elsewhere <laughs> in the building like this late in the season that's not something's not right there's something it, you know can you imagine if ken dorsey was just upstairs in the <laughs> no. booth at this point <laughs> no <laughs> no because that's the thing where it's like if you change that play calling that's why it is so wild because not only is it like, okay, we want someone else because this isn't working, but it's also like, okay, but also like hang around and watch someone else do your job. Like that doesn't and like watch other people. Like if it went well, like praise someone else's work while you're like standing mm -hmm. to the side, like, and it's gotten poorly. So like, then what do you do? Do you bring him back? Like, do you change the play caller back? Like, I don't know. Like, I think that was a really a choice that I can't imagine is going to end very well. There's, I just don't know what the best positive outcome of that is. Right. And it feels like a, a point of no return. Like if, if Matt Patricia's terrible, you're stuck. Like you can't go back. Oh, hey, Sean, um, this is awkward, but would you <laughs> maybe consider coming back and doing the job we quasi fired you from in midseason? And and I think you made a really good point about the tackling. And I, I'm going to bring up the pass rush as well, which, you know, had a solid day, two sacks, three knockdowns against uh, how many? Uh, 35 drew lock dropbacks but like this was a game in years past where the seahawks offensive line is is pretty mediocre or has been this year um they've had some injuries they're a little healthier now but not a great line by any means um drew lock not the best pocket movement i've ever seen in terms of no drew lock slander on this podcast this is a, we're <laughs> praising drew lock today <laughs> Sorry, I did not did not realize I was I was messing <laughs> with on, all locks. This is one like twenty four hour okay. period that like okay. should, like <laughs> Did you did man. you see did you see his celebration after the touchdown? <laughs> you better believe I did. <laughs> His his uh, backpack thing with Gino, that was pretty incredible. So good. I also thought it was fantastic when he just started cursing at the camera. For me, yes. that's like the ultimate flex. Like, you go, Drew Locke. <laughs> Curse away. Like, please do. Yes. And and I, 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 I'm not going to say that I want to see Drew Locke the rest of the season. But as the Seahawks sort of figure out if they're competing or, or if they're going to have a shot at making it back to the postseason given that they don't seem to know whether Gino Smith's going to be able to play any given week or not 
having at least the knowledge in your back pocket that Drew Locke can lead this kind of drive with the game on the line has to feel good if you feel like you're going to need him to advance to the postseason. The wild part of it, though, was like throughout the game, I never felt like that confidence in him. Like, you know, like they obviously when we're watching this game and he's getting the most praise for like a block he had on a rushing touchdown. Like, I think (laughs) that's not really what you want from your quarterback. So like, yes, he put. Yeah, while we are praising Drew Locke today, and I really think he deserves a lot of credit for that drive he put together. Like, I do think, like, that's a problem for the Seahawks, that they're at a point where they're like, hmm, should we play this guy instead? Like, it, that was, could be a real consideration that, like, I don't know, I know Gino hasn't been playing great this year, so or as well as last year even. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is a concerning thing. I mean, obviously, they're 7-7 seven and seven for a reason, but Drew Locke, you know, it took that final drive to actually like look really in command, I thought, but he was able to put it together. And you saw him after the game. He was so emotional. And maybe that, mm-hmm. you know, if he does have to play next week, is that a confidence booster? You know, is he, you know, on an, another level next week? And also for the poor man's sake, don't decide at the last minute if he's starting. Like, right? I will I will never understand that. Who does that help? Who are you benefiting in that situation? It's not your offense. It's not the quarterbacks. Like, don't just decide 24 hours in advance, at least. it's That will never make sense to me. Okay. So the way this was framed is that they saw Gino in warm-ups and they were like, oh, wow, he looks good. Almost like they were surprised by his physical condition, which is a little surprising to me. You don't typically expect NFL teams to not be aware of, of their quarterback's level of physicality and readiness to play. But I, like, like I guess like the question is if it's 100% if Gino Smith is 100% and totally fine, I think they're going to play Gino. And I don't mm-hmm. think there's any question yeah. there. But with three games to go, and by the way, their schedule is pretty easy. They're at Tennessee next week. They host the Steelers, who we're going to talk about in a minute. And they're at Arizona to finish the season. Oh, wow. So three winnable games after their like murderer's row of the last month of the season where they've lost they lost th- uh, four in a row before finally vanquishing the Eagles. But... If Gino Smith is 90%, he's 85%. Like, like there's some percentage where it makes sense to go back to Gino because he's been better than Drew Locke over the last couple of years. But before, maybe that was if Gino Smith looks even vaguely playable, we have to put him in there. But now maybe you could feel a little more confident that if Gino Smith is 85%, you don't have to rush him back because you have a guy who, at the very least, with the game on the line, need you know, basically to save your season, hit two really impressive explosive plays to break the game open and win it for you yeah i totally agree with that especially with that schedule they have and the playoffs very much so like with that schedule gosh they could they should be able to get there it seems like so i would think yeah if gino's not there yet this was enough like i definitely enough to be like okay let's not be surprised with how he looks in Mm warm-ups next week like let's let him get fully healthy bring him back you know let him skip another game bring him back that's one of those where it's like this was enough and also this kind of game like the offense around drew lock you think like has more confidence in him because he was able to put together this drive and get the receivers the ball in those tough situations in the end zone and do that like i think this overall helps this team when they're going into their next game with potentially Drew Locke mm-hmm. versus coming in when it was like, he hasn't played in a very long time. Let's find out together like yes. what this experience is like. I, I think this completely changes, you know, what this whole next week could be like if Drew Locke has to play again. 
Yes, I, I have a piece of unsolicited advice for Pete Carroll and, and Shane Waldron, the Seahawks offensive coordinator. You listen, they're uh, me, listening for sure. They probably, I have to figure. I feel, Pete probably listens to podcasts. I feel like that's that's something I would say is likely. Um, he's pretty hip for a 70-year-old. <laughs> I, if it were me, personally, and I had DK Metcalf on my team, I would get him the ball before the final drive of the game. That's just my idea about what to do with my my best offensive playmaker. I understand they wanted to protect Drew Locke. I understand they wanted to run the ball a bunch. Kenneth Walker was fine in this game, obviously. Had some really impressive runs. But just kind of felt like they could have got the ball to Drew, uh, to a DK Metcalf before requiring him to make two crazy catches on the final drive. I don't know. That's a little bold for me. How dare you go out uh, on that? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, yes, I completely agree. I always think it's like when guys like that disappear for too long, it's like, okay, throw something to him downfield, you know, try to get him more involved mm-hmm. and we can see, like, clearly can see what he can do. So I, I'll second that notion. Thank you. He did draw a couple of PIs. He was doing something, but it just, Some, yeah. just, just, just kind of felt like the Eagles were probably terrified that that's what they would do. And instead they were very much doing, like they were throwing a lot to Will Disley and Noah Fant. And those guys are fine, but they're not DK Metcalf. Okay. Can we talk about the timeout now? Uh, I could talk about it for three hours. So, okay. Yes. Okay. This, I like maybe contextually in terms of, like a, a game happening in the Super Bowl or the playoffs. There's been worse timeouts in NFL history. I I can't think of a worse sequence than what we saw. So let me lay out for the listener. Maybe you didn't see the game. The Seahawks were facing a fourth down. This is the fourth quarter. They are trailing 17-10. So they are in position to most likely go for it. It is four, it's going to be fourth and two from the Philadelphia 18 yard line they'd already gone for it on fourth down on the prior sequence had to call a timeout before the play and metcalf drew a pi on james bradbury so fourth and two, third and two drew lock gets immediate pressure tries a crazy throw uh does not seemingly gets the ball off for an incomplete pass the clock winds down looks like the seahawks can't get a play in or the protection in time they call timeout at which point Nick Sirianni gets an extra look at the replay, which clearly shows Drew Locke down in the grasp of Jalen Carter before he gets rid of the football. The Eagles challenge the play, win very easily. The Seahawks don't get to run a play for fourth down. They have to kick a field goal because it's fourth and nine. And then the the chef's kiss on top of all of it is Pete Carroll going back to the refs and trying to get a refund for his timeout and wanting to get his timeout back. <laughs> One of the all-time great sequences. Oh, God. Elena, what went through your mind watching this whole sequence? So I have a general pet peeve of calling the timeouts before fourth down on okay. offense. And like, I get there are situations for it. And sometimes you want to try and draw them off sides, whatever. But I just think it's used too much. Uh, I think you you have a fourth down play you got to be confident in. Yes. That you, or you know what? You should have many fourth down plays yes. that you are confident in. That You don't need to waste your timeouts to be like, are we sure it's this one? Is this really the best <laughs> of the fourth down plays? Like it happens all the time. And I just, there are certainly situations where like totally Yes. And, you know, you want to stop the clock or you want to, you know, they're really jumpy today. You want to try and get them off sides, whatever it happens. 
but not enough that like we're using them like this. And in this situation, it was like as soon as they showed the replay of this play and this they had like docked away <laughs> the Seahawks timeout on the lower third and you knew they had taken it. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, no, yes. <laughs> oh, no, this is going to end so poorly. And it just ended up being like it, get, it was like a slippery slope downhill. Like mm-hmm. it kept getting mm-hmm. <laughs> worse and worse and worse. But that would be my pitch to NFL head coaches who are all 32 currently listening um maybe think a little harder about using wasting in my opinion some of those timeouts before fourth down because p carroll did it twice and both times i was like i i don't agree with those decisions yeah i just like whenever i hear the announcers say listen they had to get the they want to have the perfect play call and i just think like okay i mean there's not like some secret section of the play sheet they forgot about they're gonna be like oh we forgot about that one we forgot we're gonna throw a slant to AJ Brown. Like, yeah, like like you you know what your core concepts are, you know what your money plays are, you know what your gotta have it go to plays are before the game. Like that's a specific part of your play sheet typically. Just call one of those. Just know on third down, hey, if it's fourth and short, we're gonna do this. Like you you can do that. You that's your job kind of without having to use a timeout. And I I'm trying I I Pete's been coaching for a long time and he's very smart. And I think he's a really good coach at a lot of things. I don't I don't want to believe that he didn't know that he couldn't get the timeout back. I, I think it I think it was a thing where like he recognized he screwed up and wanted to just sort of like complain to the manager about like making a purchase for an unrefundable item that he was not fond of. Uh, yes. but maybe he didn't though. I like, it's such a, such a strange situation. I mean, the only thing, the only other thought I had was maybe he thought before the timeout was called, they had like started the review process. Like maybe it wasn't communicated. I'm really giving him the benefit of the doubt here. Yes. <laughs> That's the only other thing I thought of was like, maybe he didn't know, like if they had called down and been like, Hey, we're going to review this. Sure. And then he called Fair. the timeout. And that was the only other thing I thought of. Otherwise to me, it definitely feels like, oh man, like I bought this and then it went on sale like a couple of days later. Like, what could we do? Like, can I return it? Like, is there any possible, it was definitely that vibe. And if he did know that he called time out before the review, I definitely think that he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was like, just anything I can do to like get that stupid time out back. Like, let me try. You know what? He's like a charming guy. <laughs> it could have worked. You just figured out. I'll give give them the old blue eye wink. I'll just, you know, <laughs> just 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 say, "Hey, listen, guys, come on. You didn't want me to actually call that timeout. Chomp that gum right near him. Chomp that gum. <laughs> maybe maybe offer them a piece of gum as like a hey, yes. maybe if you a two you know, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Yes, I, it could have worked, but it was definitely one of the best parts of the game in my opinion because it was just like if he hadn't complained, it wouldn't have been as good. Yes, and also they were playing, as they were doing the replay, they were playing like music over it in the background for some reason, which like really just added a jazziness to this whole like terrible timeout situation. So we all realized like how ridiculous it was. It was no yes. notes. I, may, may we have those in every game because yes. maybe not that exact scenario, but like a wild sequence of timeout confusion is always welcome in a football game, I feel like. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? 
It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Speaking of confusion in football games, let's move on to the big story from Monday. Again, like I'm not not an accident. It is eleven fifty nine p.m., so <laughs> my brain is working at full capacity. The Pittsburgh Steelers they lose to Monte Casey for the year after he was suspended for his hit on Michael Pittman. I don't want to talk about the Tom Brady quotes. I'm just not going to ignore that part of it. I do want to talk about the change they made at quarterback, though. So they bench Mitchell Trubisky, which they did late in the game on Saturday where they lost to the Colts. And now they are promoting, at least until Kenny Pickett gets back, Mason Rudolph, back from the deceased area of the Pittsburgh roster, is back as the starting quarterback in a, if not a must-win game, certainly a would-be-really-nice-if-we-won game against the Bengals on Saturday. Elena, do you have any reason to believe the Steelers will be any better or any worse with Mason Rudolph at quarterback as opposed to former Bills backup quarterback Mitch Trubisky? Ah, yes. Well, yeah. (laughs) So for some context, uh, I talked to our lovely ESPN Steelers beat reporter Brooke Pryor today, and she really wanted me to get in a Christmas Mm -hmm. reference with Rudolph, like coming in to save the day, like the reindeer. Uh, But I don't think that's like the case here. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh for some context and Mm -hmm. have with my family watched many a Steelers game. And I have seen Mason Rudolph play football before. Um, (laughs) That's a great start. Not great. Um, like, it, I, it's it's it sort of feels like the Steelers have forgotten that they've also seen Mason Rudolph play football, right? uh, and and that he's now a. It, 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 it's like he put on like you know a fake mustache, and they're like, oh, a new quarterback just showed up in our building. We should give him a shot. Yeah, it's it's nuts to me because I think it can get worse. I think that the Steelers mm-hmm. are in such a downfall. You know, we're looking at this AFC. It was. They were three games ago. They were in this position of like, they could look at this schedule. Like they should waltz their way into the playoffs. Yes. Like, will it be pretty once they get there? Nah, maybe not. But like they had an easy schedule and they have just completely fumbled the bag. Like worse than anyone's fumbled the bag just because this team just looks bad. And I don't think, I think this is a desperation move to come in and be like, oh, but what if we change quarterbacks? And like Mitch Trubisky's pretty much who, I think Mitch is a solid backup. And yep. 
that's how he performed. And I just think it can get worse with Mason Rudolph. I don't, I think Mitch Trubisky is a better quarterback. And I think this is kind of a thing where you're like, this team is falling apart. What can we do? Oh, it's changed the quarterback position to someone who mm-hmm. we brought in very late and is like brought back this year very late. It was kind of just like hanging around. I, it's wild to me that the Steelers are in this position. And I think, especially, you know, with very, what should have been winnable games, right? Losing to the Cardinals and the Patriots is, mm-hmm. was at a home. lot. And then at home, <laughs> and then also losing, you know, to the Colts in the way that they did. I think it's such a band aid to me that's like going to completely fall off once the game starts. Like, I just don't think it's a, it's a solution that is going to be for good in any form or fashion. So, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, they fired Matt Canada a few weeks ago, and that kind of felt like, okay, like we ripped the Band-Aid off. We're good now. Like we made the change you wanted us to make, and that didn't fix things. Kenny Pickett has one okay-ish game against the Bengals, and then he gets hurt the following week after a rough start to that game. Mitchell Trubisky's not good against the Cardinals. He's terrible against the Patriots. He gets benched against the Colts. I mean, there, there just seemed to be like – fundamental problems with this offense and i think a major question of what they even want the offensive identity to be like i remember when they fired canada they were like okay listen the offense is going to change we're going to see a lot more jalen warren a lot more george pickens george pickens has not had a big game since uh the new offensive coordinator he had 86 yards against the cardinals but he has not had like a blow up hundred yard game since the coordinator change in Pittsburgh. And that's, that's fine if you have other guys working instead, but this offense doesn't look or feel or act or perform any different than it did before Canada. There's maybe fewer like totally insanely stupid moves, but it sort of felt like the old offense, it wasn't that it was good, but it avoided major mistakes. And so that helped them have their weird formula of winning while getting outgained. But now the offense is maybe trying more stuff. And so that is leading to a couple more big plays, but also leading to more turnovers. And that is the one thing this team cannot overcome is handing the opposing offense short fields. Yeah, this offense's inability to kind of get those their best players involved in the way that I feel like they should a lot of the time, like talk mm-hmm. about George Pickens, Jalen Warren, whenever he gets the ball, he likes, he's very good. Like they should yes. give him the ball lots of times. Like that's like simplifying it, but he's very good with the football. And I don't know why give him the ball a lot. That's what I would do mm-hmm. if I was calling plays for the Steelers. Maybe I should, you know, maybe they need some help, but <laughs> you make it an opportunity, frankly. I mean, I, I, it, do you think it's just one of those things? Like, you know, this from, covering teams like do you think it's just because Najee Harris is a first round pick and so they have this like built-in idea in their head of like okay we're gonna get Najee going this week he's gonna be our guy and like it's been two and a half years of him averaging you know 2.9 yards per carry and not being the guy like it sort of feels like that should be a sunk cost by now like like Jalen Warren's just the better player but they still have this vision in their head of what they drafted Najee Harris to be and are playing him in that way as opposed to the reality of him not really being that caliber of player. Totally. I think the first round pick thing is very real. Like you've, you invested in this guy. You want to see him be successful because then you look good, right? If you drafted him, that's a win. 
to draft a running back in the first round is already at this time, like controversial enough that, and when they did it was not long ago. So yeah, I think you're, you feel like you've got to, that guy has to be successful and to have like Jalen Warren come in and look better than him is Mm -hmm. not great, Bob. Like you don't, that's, that's technically like not really a win because then the drafting comes into question. What do you do with Najee Harris? Like you're obviously invested so much in him. So yeah, I think giving him touches and then he fumbles the ball against the Colts. Right. And stuff like that, where it's like, Mm -hmm. you want this guy to be successful because you drafted him, but teams do that all the time. I think, I mean, the bills have been carrying the cornerback Kyrie Elam who they drafted in Mm -hmm. the first round last year. That's a whole Back we could spend an hour talking about them trying to make that work uh, in so many different ways. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. we see teams do that all the time. And it's not not looking great with that one in Pittsburgh. Elena, you mentioned the Buffalo Bills. Maybe we should finish up talking about them because it was like three weeks ago before they were by. They were being left for dead. They had just lost to the Eagles. They'd blown a lead, lost in overtime. They were 6-6. Six and six. They were all but out of the playoff picture. They just fired a couple weeks earlier. Ken Dorsey, their offensive coordinator. The whole Sean McDermott story happens, which we don't have to get into. I don't, I don't, I feel like that's already been covered at length elsewhere. That's but <laughs> thank you. On the fields, two games that the Bills would be, you know, fa- uh, underdogs in. Favored to lose is a very dumb phrase. Underdog is makes more sense. The Bills beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. They come back home and they blow out the Cowboys on Sunday in their most emphatic victory of the season since perhaps the Dolphins game back on October 1st. So the Bills are now eight and six. They are firmly back in the playoff picture, even possibly have a shot at winning the AFC East if things break right and if they beat the Dolphins in week 18. This team that was having serious conversations or complaints or public chatter about maybe they should move on from Sean McDermott, maybe they should rebuild, suddenly they're being treated as like this terrifying wildcard team. So I one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Elena, was I wanted to get your perspective. You watch this team every week, you cover this team. To you, has anything meaningfully changed about the Bills now than the team that was flailing as recently as Week 12 against the Eagles? Yes, but it's not something you can point to like stats or like, you know, there's not like a lot of like backing up to it, which is like part of why it's been a very interesting trend for this team where we're seeing Josh Allen play like Josh Allen should play. And that's kind of like a weird thing to say because Josh Allen has started every game this season and he's Mm. had overall like, you know, the interceptions. We can talk about those for a really long time about them. You know, should he be throwing them? Which ones are good? Which ones are bad? But the point is that what they did this season early on is like we saw Josh Allen look really confident. His completion percentage was really high. Things were going well. And then they went in this slump where like the offense was just not clicking and things were not working consistently. It just didn't look right. And like Josh just didn't have 
this energy to him that I think we're used to seeing from him in one press conference. He told us that he was trying to be this low positivity thing where he was trying not to get too high, too low. And that's not really like the Josh Allen that we've seen be successful in the football field. He's the guy that's sprinting 50 yards downfield to go celebrate. He's the guy that's like, like we saw in the Cowboys game, who's like dragging eight defenders with him downfield. That's Josh Allen. That's who Josh Allen should be. Um, and they brought that back. I think Joe Brady, the thing I've asked a ton of guys in the locker room, you know, what's different? Like what's mm-hmm. Joe Brady doing to this offense? It's different than Ken Dorsey. And I can't get anyone to say anything substantial <laughs> because they point to energy and that like Joe mm-hmm. Brady's a really fiery guy who drinks a lot of energy drinks. And like, that's who he is. And it's working though. I think it's brought back in Josh, like they're letting him run the football more They're He's making these throws that a lot of times you're like, oh my gosh, don't. And then it's amazing. He's back to that. And that's why his completion percentage is down a little bit more Mm -hmm. because they're kind of letting him be him. His completion percentage shouldn't be 73. That's not, Mm -hmm. I think, Josh Allen at his best. So we've really seen it's kind of like a mentality more than anything else from what we've seen working. And this last game against the Cowboys, I don't recognize that team. This is not a running team. This is not a pound the rock, you know, mm-hmm. X number of yards on the ground. This was I a stunning performance by this offensive line um, mm-hmm. and James Cook in general. And I think that is where like the danger comes from, because if they can do this, something they haven't done all season long, in addition to Josh Allen, uh, I wouldn't want to play them. I wouldn't want to scheme against that offense. Mm-hmm. Especially if they have access to Panera Lemonade, which I don't know if that's what's fueling <laughs> Joe Brady's. I hope not. I don't think so. Someone <laughs> mentioned, mentioned Monster Energy. I can't say that for sure. Not even I Celsius. Think... Wow. <laughs> Someone said Monster. So I'll, I'll check. You know what? Tomorrow I'm going to ask and confirm that and I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> Just just to hold a Panera lemonade in front of Joe Brady and say, hey, Joe, would you like would you like a sip of this delicious, slightly caffeinated drink? Um, not trying I, to kill. Not trying to kill Joe Brady. coordinator, Bill. <laughs> that would that would be you'd get in trouble, I think, from ESPN. I don't think you're allowed think to so. kill any coordinators. Um, I, you're right, though. Like, clearly, they feel like they're having more fun and it looks like they're having more fun. They look more complete in a way like like i think you know the simplest thing to say is it would have been crazy to imagine a scenario where josh allen went 7 of 15 for 94 yards in a game where the bills won comfortably against a really good football team and the cowboys i know they suck because they lost yesterday but they were still a really good football team and james cook's emergence has been impressive the one thing i find troubling about this though is we spent all offseason, everyone said the same thing. Hey, listen, Josh has to stop running the ball and taking hits. We got to be smarter with Josh Allen. We have to protect him from himself. And now, because the Bills have been struggling, it seems like everyone's like, yeah, it's cool. Let's just have Josh run the ball. That seems like it's the, the way better tactic. But like, are we not concerned about Josh Allen's safety anymore? That is an excellent point uh, and one that I have been raised many times to Sean McDermott because not only was has that been a point of eff- emphasis surrounding Josh Allen for I've this is my third season covering the Bills. That has been an issue all three seasons is yes. do not let that man get injured. If he gets injured, it's 
the sky will fall and they'll stop serving wings in Buffalo. Like it's just the end of the world. And they, I mean, yes, what you're saying is correct. They are deciding that that is a must to an extent. And I think they're really trying to emphasize with Josh to run safely, which is a interesting concept, but it's a lot more sliding is the goal. And we haven't seen that as of late, but (laughs) that's the goal. Um, and not taking the hits as much. Um, but I also think it's an interesting thing where they talked about that so much. And then when Josh Allen has been injured last year and this year, they've both been on passing plays. So mm-hmm. we say that and it's a concern, but the hits haven't been. And like now that I've said that, uh, I'm not even going to, you know, oh, it's fine. completely anyway. But <laughs> that's been where the injuries have happened. And I think they are, though, at a point where things were so I mean, there was a real point where this team did not look like they were going to make the playoffs like that mm-hmm. loss to the Broncos, the mm-hmm. 12 men on the field God. like was a horrible loss, a loss that they are very lucky that the Broncos just lost to the Detroit Lions, because mm-hmm. otherwise that would be really haunting them. Um, and they're now at this point where it works to have Josh Allen run the football. So they're going to go with it and try to do it safely. But we've mm-hmm. seen the last couple of games. I mean, he's taken hits. They're just yes. at a point where they're going to go for it. I mean, Josh also talked this offseason about really wanting to limit the turnovers and here we are. So I think they were trying to fix something that maybe uh, fixing it wasn't the right actual right answer for this offense. And maybe this offseason, they can really like be like, okay, trying to limit Josh isn't the answer. But like, how do we run him in the best way possible, maybe and save it late in the year. And that's what they're doing right now. They're saving it for when it matters most. Mm-hmm. And Josh Allen was hurt last year, heading into the playoffs. And he looks good i mean he doesn't like he, i'm sure he's banged up but like he doesn't look injured at this point of the year yeah they keep him on he's been lately it's not it's this thing where this right shoulder he's got something they're still you know whatever they're careful about but he's healthy mm-hmm. as he could be you know like right now there isn't something lingering that he's got so yeah i mean they've got him ready to go it's just you know he doesn't really connect with his wide receivers much so that'll be Stefan yes. Diggs and Gabe Davis are not uh Stefan Diggs is getting slowly like he's got a lot of targets but not a lot of receptions and then Gabe mm-hmm. Davis is almost not has really really decreased to a very minimal receiving option on this offense at this moment. He had a bigger game against the Chiefs, but we're going to have to see. This is a he did not have a bigger game against the Chiefs. That was against the Eagles, my the apologies. Eagles. But I was going to say the Chiefs game was when Josh completely missed him running into the end zone, so mm-hmm. There's been ups and downs with this offense. And I think to say it's like really great is not correct. They've had a lot of issues. Obviously, Dalton Kincaid has been an excellent addition for Mm -hmm. this team, but they've got to fix some things to actually go on a real run. Stefan Diggs has to start catching some more passes uh, for this offense to really, truly have success uh, in the playoffs, in my opinion. He's famously chill about not seeing the ball frequently enough. That, that's the what the, the two characteristics we know about Stefan Diggs. Um, he is famously chill when he does not get the football and you would not want him to date a member of your family. Those are the two <laughs> things we know about Stefan Diggs based on reporting by not only the Bills reporters, but also during his time with the Minnesota Vikings. I'm um, if you're not aware, there's a video. I know you're aware, but if you're a audience member who's not aware, there's a famous video of uh, the Vikings players at being asked who they did not want 
uh, to date their sister from the team. Everyone said Stefan Diggs, a hilarious video. Uh, you okay. can search it up. But yeah, Gabe Davis missing three of the last four games. Or sorry, no catches. In yeah, three he's been there. The four games. He's definitely been pressing. He's getting a lot of cardio in, which is great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, totally like that. But, you know, it, it, it's if it's working, like you can't really complain too much. And it certainly feels like the move towards more James Cook, both as a runner and as a receiver, has been a positive for the offense. Yeah, and that's been a big Joe Brady trend. He's gotten his touches went up from like 14 to over 20 per game in the games that Joe Brady took over. He's seeing obviously that's a little weighted by this last one we just saw, but he's been seeing the ball so much more. His touchdowns, he's got four touchdowns in the last four versus two the previous Mm -hmm you know, but when Dorsey was calling the plays, they're getting him involved. Joe Brady's obviously very for getting these running backs involved, especially as receivers, which has been something general manager Brandon Bean has been searching for <laughs> for mm. many, many years is a yes. receiving running back. And like if James Cook can really be that guy uh, going forward, even in the years to come, that is gigantic for this offense. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. And we're not going to see, a, I don't know, another James Cook game like that. <laughs> yes. Wild. But I do think in terms of receiving, yes, he is one of the guys Josh is going to be looking to. Although he's had a couple drops. He's dropped two touchdowns, one against the Eagles and one in this past game. That would probably have been a touchdown where it's definitely, he, he's got a little bit of a drop issue as well. So mm. that'll be something to watch as well. Yes, absolutely. So finish up here with this question. Two games ago, when the Bills were six and six, I think if you told Bills fans, hey, you're going to win the next two games, you're going to make it to the postseason, they would have been thrilled. Now they've actually won those two games, though. What do you think is a realistic and fair expectation for the Bills based on how they're playing right now through the end of the year into the postseason? <sighs> This answer changed so much after this Cowboys game. And that's right. what's scary to me because I feel like one game <laughs> really shouldn't mm-hmm. change my answer so much. I've watched this team all the time. <laughs> I, you know, it shouldn't change by one game, but I actually thought we talk a lot about the offense, which was obviously huge in this game, what the defense did um, without Micah Hyde, without AJ Epinesa, you know, they're missing some guys who are contributors for this team. I mean, Micah mm-hmm. Hyde, especially to not have someone like that and perform to the level that they did against a very good Cowboys offense um, to mm-hmm. me actually speaks very highly of how this defense has been able to adapt despite being without, like, I can't emphasize this enough. Matt Milano for yes. many, many, many games. <laughs> uh, yes. He is dearly missed, dearly missed. Um, Tyrell Dodson is, he's doing his job. So doing his best, doing his yeah, best. Yeah. So I think, I think this team can go on a run and like, I don't, I wouldn't have said that before the Cowboys game. I thought they would make the playoffs and like, they've got too many issues and maybe they'd make the playoffs, but then they would lose in the first round. I think this team is playing at a confidence level right now and at a just level of performance overall, like they got pissed off and Mm -hmm. it's worked like they're just, it's everything's coming together at the right time. Their pass rush is coming together. Leonard Floyd was their free agent signing of many, mm-hmm. many years. What a signing by Brandon Bean that was. So to me, I think they can go on a run. And like, if you told me they make it to the AFC championship game, like I wouldn't be surprised at this point. That's how 
you know, I think that's how put together they are and getting hot at the right time. I don't mm-hmm. know if I see a Super Bowl appearance, but this team too reminds me of that 21 squad a bit. And I mm-hmm. think I think they can give some teams we're all seeing the AFC is not perfect. I mean, the NFC no. isn't either, but there's not like a great team in the AFC, in my opinion. So I think that opens the door for the Bills here. Yeah. A lot of teams with injured quarterbacks, lots of teams who their receivers are totally incapable of catching the football. Um, a weird, weird season. And no one has to be perfect, but maybe the Bills are well positioned to get hot at the right time and then make a run through the AFC. If that happens, we will definitely be talking again this season to our friend Elena Getzenberg. But until then, Elena, where can people check out your coverage of the Buffalo Bills? I'm on ESPN.com. All my stories are there. We've got one up on James Cook from this past game of the offensive linemen. We're singing his praises, which is you love when I get to talk to offensive linemen. They're Mm -hmm. some of the best people. Um, And then on Twitter at a Getzenberg and reds and all the platforms. There's too many for me right now. I got to be honest. So social media at a Getzenberg is like the move for now. And then let me know when we're moving from one platform to another and I'll adjust accordingly. So check out check out her coverage of the Bills on Google Plus. Elena Getzenberg. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to Elena Getzenberg. Does wonderful work covering the Bills for us at ESPN. We have more audio coming later this week. Another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show on Thursday morning. Our typical big picture midweek show. But we're going to keep doing these Monday night shows through the end of the regular season. So thanks so much for listening and more on the way.